Hello and welcome to another Fine Meds, Global Capital's dedicated securitization podcast. I'm Tom Lemon, Deputy Editor for Securitization and your host. I know, I know, it's been a ridiculously long time coming. If my memory serves me well, the first ever episode of Another Fine Meds was just before Global ABS in 2022. Uh, you must understand that at this point in my life, it, it was quite easy. And I was thinking of extra things that the securitization team could do for you, our readers, who, who then would become our listeners. And at the time, the securitization team meant, well, me. And now, though, we're, we're a team of six. And in Europe specifically, we've got two extra journalists, George Smith, who covers European ABS, and Victoria Teela, who writes about European CLOs. With this in mind, the rebirth of another fine mess is also going to be a bit of a restructure. The three of us will chat every week about the stories we've written and some of the bits we haven't included, alongside any tidbits of gossip and our plans for the following week, all inside roughly 20 minutes. Plus, every so often, we'll hear from market participants as well. Um, the aim of this podcast is really to inform and to entertain but above all, I want this podcast to give you the enthusiasm that the three of us share for securitization. If you want to share your thoughts about the market and appear as one of our guests, or just have suggestions for topics we should be discussing, feel free to get in touch. For now, though, let's get to it and welcome Victoria and George to their first Another Fine Mez episode. So welcome, Victoria. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm I'm alright. Uh, thrilled thrilled to be here on this first of very many incredibly interesting podcast episodes. And welcome, George. Uh, I, I gather you've been rather busy this morning doing doing the the other Global Capital podcast as well. Hello, yeah. This is the second podcast of the day for me, but it's a, a personal best as well in podcast appearances. <laughs> so I was thinking of. I was thinking of sort of giving our listeners an idea of like what what would be like as a trio that they could relate to that maybe they've seen on seen on TV or seen on the radio. Um, I was thinking of Top Gear, um, so I, I would be the sort of annoying, slightly annoying, rude uh, Jeremy Clarkson esque figure. Um, Victoria, you'd be the sort of full of beans. Richard Hammond is just really happy to be here, and then George, you'd be James May because. You know, you've got the Cambridge degree. You don't quite have the hair, but yeah, how, how do you how do you feel about that? Yeah, well, maybe to give you some instant vindication, uh, I put this question to my my brothers last night, and they suggested that I compare us to Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier, which would <laughs> be the grape splendor to make champagne. Now, I've done a bit of research, and I would say. Victoria can be Chardonnay for backbone and finesse. Uh. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> it's going to be on my Tinder profile. <laughs> I don't like where this is going. Uh, Tom is Pinot Noir for uh, fruity character, body and strength. <laughs> and, There's a lot of <laughs> And that leaves me as uh, Pinot Meunier, which brings accessibility through youth. Uh. Oh. Well, you are very young, <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, and Victoria, have you got any ideas? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> now it's going to be really lame, um, especially because George has just given away the how spontaneous this is. Um, 
but yeah so I, I had a good one for George um, and then ours are gonna be really weird so um, I thought I, I thought we probably all represent some sort of architectural landmark in Europe um, so George got to be Stockholm City Hall because it's very understated from the outside but it has a really awesome interesting design on the inside and if one of us is going to win the Nobel Prize, um, I think I, I know who my money would be on. Um, and then I had to I had to come up with with you're you, you deserve it. Um, but yeah, then I had to had to come up with some for ourselves. Um, and I think I think you should be Buckingham Palace, Tom, because it's sort of big and confident, and you don't need to particularly <laughs> like it or anything. But it's really like if you're a tourist in London, but it's, it's really difficult to like. <laughs> get around it and like not interact with it um so so i feel like that might be your 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 destiny in the world of securitization at some point um and then i thought i would personally love to be the sagrada familia <laughs> because it's a really awesome weird building um and it definitely likes being the center of attention um but i'm worried setting I'm the just... bar low <laughs> <laughs> exactly but um i'm worried i might just be something like the gurking or something but yeah so so i think i think george right, well, wins clearly clearly your your yes your ideas are better than mine i think george's uh the three bits of champagne ideas probably with with yeah it's most um, on brand as well i think <laughs> yes yes like, very on brand probably yeah. probably all our listeners were like oh yeah no exactly what you mean the moment <laughs> even before you said you said the definition um right let's Let's get away from champagne just yet. It's still uh, still the morning at this point in time when we're recording. Um, Victoria, you away from thinking about uh, whether you're the Sagrada Familia of securitization journalism or not, you've been writing about middle market CLOs in Europe um, this week, and they haven't really taken off. They're quite they've they've had a pretty good year in the US. Um, but there's barely been anything ever in, yeah. in Europe, has there? Yeah, so definitely. tell us a bit about that. So yeah, there, there, you're right. There was like one that might qualify in 2019. Um, it was called Alhambra and it went really poorly. Uh, it performed really badly and was downgraded and um, a lot of it defaulted. But yeah, so um, it hasn't really been a thing in Europe compared to the US. Um, and there seemed to be a number of problems. Um, <clears throat> one of them, the the biggest one probably being that it's really difficult to rate them because um i mean broadly syndicated clos um usually contain loans by companies that already have a credit rating um and that have been syndicated by banks but in the middle market um these clos are usually issued by private lenders using their own portfolio um of loans for sort of small to medium sized enterprises smes um and yeah a lot of these are unrated uh, or they usually are unrated um so that makes it a lot more difficult to then rate the clo um and there are some additional problems because they're also those smes tend to be much smaller here than what enters a mid-market clo in the us because they're the companies um could sort of still qualify for the bsl space in europe um so yeah they're they're much smaller here and and so your your story's about a company called Thin Cats, and and what what are they trying to get off the ground? Um, yeah, essentially um, a mid market CLO. So Thin Cats is a lender to SMEs. They you can borrow 
anything in the space of like a million to 20 million from them if you're a small to mid-sized company um, and they would like to now use some of these loans probably around 100 but less maybe um, to create a structure that's very similar to a CLO there are some fine differences um, things around that the sort of gross gross asset leverage um, is going to be going to be lower and um, certain things around um, diversification of the portfolio but yeah so essentially they are trying to do exactly that and they are now um, trying to tackle all those obstacles around ratings and sort of find find a way to do that is is it like the rating agencies like obviously they're to some degree the issue but are they sort of they're not really to blame they're just sort no. of hampered by their own rating yeah yeah exactly so it's not really that rating agencies go in and because I've, I've spoken to a couple of them and it's not like they're unwilling or against this um in any way at least from what they say to me um it's more issues around so because these companies are so small it's difficult to apply the criteria that the rating agencies especially the top three Moody's S&P and Fitch um, would apply to regular CLOs because um, those companies might have less than three years of an accounting record. They might not um, sort of apply accounting principles. The governance um, works a lot different than for a sort of big established company. Um, so if they were to just rate them by the same standards, they might all get a triple C um, um, rating in the end. So then the capital structure wouldn't really work. Um, and yeah, and then there's there's also the problem for the for thincats or other issuers who might be interested in this that um, it's hard to do it in an economic way because of course you need to pay for ratings um, and yeah it's quite quite tricky to do that but yeah it doesn't seem like the rating agencies are against it it's just um, constraints from the system. Yeah. So. And and with all this, are you confident that, that there will be a deal soon, or is it is this more of a pipe dream, potentially a couple of years away? Well, I think people are quite serious about it. So um, ThinCats is definitely serious enough to quite publicly talk about that they want to do that, um, and also to publicly talk about the issues around rating. And Ravi, sort of behind ThinCats, um, told me that they are they are in talks with with the agencies and one of the smaller ones um is apparently willing to find some creative solutions like perhaps only rating the biggest 30 loans and um then apply some sort of mapping and uh, assume an average for the others that they can then use to estimate the likelihood of default but yeah the, the issue right now is to sort of get one of the bigger ones to do the same um or so and of course of course it's it's it wouldn't be them being evil or or anything um it, it makes sense for them to be careful around these things because of course the ratings um like investors need to trust them and need to find them reliable and and sensible um but i think there is there is um definite interest in doing that so um yeah i think people are there are some who say they are optimistic. Then there are some investors who say, well, it might just be a private um, transaction in the end. But yeah, so so Thincats will probably be able to do that in some way or another. Um, but we'll see if it actually manages to become a properly rated middle market CLO. Well, it would be interesting. And I wonder whether does, does that, I think you, you mentioned this right at the bottom of your article, that it could sort of um, encourage the growth of 
potential other middle market-esque transactions in the CLO space in Europe. Um, obviously, there's been quite a lot of talk about private credit CLOs in, in America. Yeah. Um, but but do you think those sorts of things would become easier if, if, if FinCats could find a way around with the rating agencies, obviously? So I think those are slightly separate ways of doing this so um i I definitely think to answer sort of the first part of the question that this could encourage more middle market um issuance because rating agencies have told me us that they are getting more inquiries about these kind of things um with private credit clos i mean yeah they've been sort of the talk of the town in the us for a bit um i'm wondering if that might be easier to begin with because those are bigger loans of bigger companies um but yeah, I had one guy um, at a rating agency estimate that private credit, the first private credit CLOs we could see in sort of a year to a year and a half. So there definitely is some appetite around that. And it's going to be really interesting um, if anybody has strong opinions about it or, or other other aspects of it. Um, feel free to send me send me an email um, and tell me all about it. Thanks, Victoria. That piece is called Growing Appetite for European Mid-Market CLOs Faces Rating Problems, if you'd like to check it out for yourself. Now, George, what about the world of European ABS this week? Yes, thank you for the, the question. I'm, I'm glad that ABS and RMBS haven't been forgotten in the, uh, in the wave of CMBS headlines. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've had four deals. One sterling deal, which was from Haydock Finance, that was their debut equipment leasing ABS to SMEs. Uh, and that did reasonably well, Only mostly pre-placed, only the Class Bs were on offer and they tightened a fair bit. So I think they can be happy with their debut. Uh, and pre-placed at a pretty good level as well. Um, and then we had three deals on the Euro side. Uh, one German auto from Credit Agricole got done quite, well, it got done at a decent level as well. Uh, and then the other two, Santander and Dilosk. Uh, Dilosk is an Irish buy to let RBS, and Santander were doing a German consumer loans deal. Uh, I think what was interesting about these two deals was kind of the way the book builds went. They saw very big demand very early on on the Mez. Pretty kind of, uh, you know, they were, they were relatively generous early offerings, but they got to tighten them a long way. So that was, I suppose, very fitting for the podcast name actually um and uh it was a different story for the seniors though and this is something we've seen in the euro market more or less since the ecb left the market at the end of start of march and end of february um and that was that demand was initially very well maybe not subdued but investors were cautious like they were only seeing once covered um kind of thing until they gave a bit more clarity on the pricing and they kind of and they they published a couple of updates, and then the books really started to accelerate. And Delosk ended up, I think, almost one point seven times covered, and they tightened quite a long way from their IPTs. Santander got done, but uh, without tightening, but it was a big scale, seven hundred million euro deal. So that's six hundred million of seniors placed. And the other thing to say about these deals is that. There's a lot. What we're seeing at the moment is a lot of caution from deal executors. It just seems like there's investors out there who are willing to give big protected orders. I think most deals have had about 
hundred million years of protection at least, or they've been fully pre-placed, or some tranches have been pre-placed. So, and that's the other sort of takeaway, I guess, from these last couple of deals before the market slows down. Are you very much expecting then that this is, is this sort of a summer-induced um, caution in that, you know, they're just sort of thinking, well, look, this could be one of the last weeks of, you know, normal activity and let's just not risk it, just get it, you know, okay, we've got it done. No. Well, I think what it speaks to is if you're going to market now, that suggests to me a certain amount of risk aversion because you're not willing to wait till September, which would be the other option. Uh, and clearly waiting till September is the riskier approach. And so if you're taking a, if you're trying to cash in now and you've got the offer of a protected order, I don't see why you wouldn't want to take that. That's kind of my theory on what's going on. I spoke to a banker about it who just said, like, not much has really changed on the investor side. There's investors out there who are looking to pick up paper before the summer. Otherwise, they won't have a chance to for a while. Well, you know, there's decent orders. But my theory is, yeah, there's a, a certain element of caution just because these issuers are the ones who are probably taking a slightly risk-averse uh, action. Or like with Lloyds bringing back permanent last week, a more opportunistic one, in which case they're confident the deal's going to get done so they don't need the protection. But, but the piece we really wanted to highlight today was also your your opinion piece from um, from Tuesday evening, um, which is about social RMBS called "Only Radical Thinking Can Get Social RMBS Going." So, so what's your what's your argument here? Maybe me and Victoria can try and destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that social or social labelled RMBS has to be considered in the kind of broader context of what impact the mortgage market as a whole has on society and specifically the residential mortgage market. And what I'm trying to argue is that if it serves only to inflate land values, it just drives down affordability for everybody who's not already a landowner. And that seems to me to be the way it works in the UK at least. And so I just find that to be like almost inherently unjust. I think what then you need to label something as truly kind of social is very broad based support and kind of almost or near unanimity that it's it is social because otherwise it really ought to be labelled political and I don't know how many Bias, they'll be for political <laughs> yes no i can see i can see the issue there and obviously with with rates rising it's been a very big topic in sort of national newspapers as well um around affordability and particularly on young people being able to get a mortgage now of course i was gonna i was going to ask you know the two two of you like what what, what you're up to next week um george you're this in a way ties into that because of course you're you're very interested in in potentially becoming a homeowner at such a young age um you're you're are you going up you're going up to edinburgh the back end of next week is that right yeah well first of all i've got 
uh, trip this weekend to Devon, um, where I'll be having having cream teas uh, and and playing football with my brothers. <laughs> um, it's a, an annual event, um, and we've actually been going to the same place every year since. Like, so you can see, like when I was ten, my little writing in the visitors book. Um, oh, and then yes, on Wednesday night, I'm going to Edinburgh and. I'll be staying there until the end of September, and that period will include some paternity leave. Some paternity leave. You're so. It's such a the James May. The James May way of describing you, I think, is so apt because it's such a sort of under understated way of like, yeah, my life's about to change in like un, unimaginably uh, massive way, um, which is that I'm about to have a baby. Um, so if you see a little bit less of George throughout August and perhaps into September um, that is why Um, and we wish him the best of course but hopefully he'll still be around to do the occasional podcast with Victoria and I Um, Uh, I wouldn't miss it I'll be dialing again (laughs) yeah but the crying though make sure there's no crying Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't want a new, a new accessible through youth, you know, Munir, uh, contributor. No. <laughs> um, okay, uh, that's that's all very exciting, and I'm sure we'll hear more over the coming weeks. And then, um, Victoria, we've got a couple of coffees. Have you got? Have you we got? Do. Anything else? Some some coffees. Well, I'm not traveling anywhere exciting or looking forward to life changing events. I'm gonna no I'm gonna go with you. No, no, no babies. No, I'm gonna no. I'm gonna do what any sensible person who's not expecting children is doing this weekend. I'm gonna do the Barbenheimer double feature um, of the Oppenheimer and Barbie movie. Um, but it's all gonna be in London. And then next week, I suppose, I'm just gonna be covering a couple of deals that are pricing. Um, and yeah going to some coffees this is really an anticlimactic order i should have started (laughs) well i think that's all we've got time for this week remember you can read all of our stories as they appear on globalcapital.com forward slash securitization i hope you enjoyed today's episode feel free to get in touch at tom.lemon at globalcapital.com until next time